You're listening to Family Feud, part of the Paris Style Podcast family. They might not be brother and sister, but they sure do fight like they are. Here's your hosts, Keely Yor and Shotgun Spratling. Welcome to the Family Feud Podcast. I'm Keely Yor here with Shotgun Spratling. Shotgun, it's kind of been an exhausting week. It's been a, it's been quite the turn in the trajectory of USC football. I mean, I had a great week. I went to Cincinnati, talked to Jackson Carmen. I went down to Tennessee, played my alumni baseball game. My shoulder hurts a lot. So say you threw your shoulder out. I had, had a great time. Saw a bunch of friends. And then I flew to, to Notre Dame. Ryan was great enough to pick me up deep dish because I was only going to be in Chicago for like the time it took me to get picked up. And when I drove back to the when I rode back to the airport, so. Besides that, I mean, what, did anything else happen? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I think something did. There's a major, major thing that happened on Saturday, but we'll, we'll see. Hmm, I don't remember anything. Maybe I blacked out. During, oh, there's a football game, wasn't there? Yeah, I think a lot of people blacked out what happened on Saturday as well. I think some USC fans wish they could have blacked out instead of watching that game. Yes. I, were, were you expecting that at all? Uh, no. And, and I think it was partly because... Every little thing seemed to go against USC. You know, you fumble, you get the, you if you force a three and out, you got great field position, you fumble on the first play. Yeah. And you know, you think, well, maybe he's down. You know, the review kind of looked inconclusive, uh, so you have to go with the calls on the field. Uh, and then you know, every little thing seemed to be just a hair off. You know, whatever, whatever it may be. I think USC even got called for a penalty when Notre Dame's long snapper pushed Chris Hawkins in the back on a punt return. And like they called the penalty on number 54, which USC's 54 is Jalen McKenzie, who was back home at the crib chilling <laughs> rather than being on the trip. So, you know, and their long snapper was number 54. So I feel like just every little thing that could go wrong did. And like there weren't many like just straight positives. Like, oh, that was a great bounce for USC. That was lucky. You know, Notre Dame punts the ball right before halftime. And it hits the six-yard line and just goes for a beeline for the pylon. And right before the pylon, it goes out of bounds on the one-yard line. You're like, and USC gets a penalty on that because they had several penalties on special teams. And, you know, so they end up on a half-yard line. It just seemed like a lot of things where they could go wrong did go wrong for USC. I think I think I tweeted that exact phrase. But at the same time, a lot I will agree a lot of things didn't go their way. But also, it also felt like this game was the culmination of all the little problems we were seeing leading up to this game that were kind of in different pieces and different games all happened at once. You know, the defense kind of had their clunker game. They had tackling issues. The turnovers happened. You know, it it all came together. All their faults were just boom in one game right there. Yeah, I think you're actually absolutely correct there. And, you know, a lot of players talked about, oh, it's just this little mistake. I made this little mistake here. This... Jack Jones said, you know, I just took my eyes off the ball on the muff punt, and that was a little mistake, but it led to a big mistake. And that's what it seemed like. All Everyone had a little mistake, it seemed like, and that all came together. Just like you said, it was kind of a culmination of everyone's faults coming together, and, and, and it ended up really bad for USC, which you think maybe, all right, if they get back to, you know, get back to normal and everyone doesn't have a fault, then maybe, you know, USC can bounce back from that game and play well. Not too much energy. You know, it kind of feels like after that game, instead of the family feud, we need some prices right sound effects. <laughs> the sad trombone, you know, from Family Feud. I mean, from uh, Prices Right needs to be played. Uh, so, USC, you know, they need someone to step up in that locker room and change the atmosphere in there because it seemed like a lot of guys were still down after that game this week in practice. Just not a ton of energy. And that was something on the sidelines. It just didn't feel like there was a ton of energy in that game. Yeah, we're getting into a lot of stuff that we'll probably get into later. But, are you surprised at how much that game changed the tra- trajectory of USC's kind of outlook? 
at least from the fan point of view. Oh, yeah. I mean, we did talk about it last week, how this game kind of decides how you feel about things. And it kind of, it really did. Yeah, because you have a national opportunity. Yes. You know, even if you lose close, then you're like, oh, a rivalry game, a yeah. tough loss. When you just get blown out and, like, nothing goes your way, like, it just completely changes everyone's out. Like, oh, well, nothing went our way in this game. Nothing's ever going to go again because it's a rivalry game, because it's prime time, under the lights, great atmosphere there in South Bend. Uh, I think a lot of that played into, you know, especially the fans. Like, if you lose that game to Washington State even, you're like, there, there are a lot of complaints, obviously. But it's not quite the same as when it's a rivalry game and it's Notre Dame and you know and everyone's tradition. watching. Yeah, everyone's watching. Everyone in the country. You had multiple national writers there to cover that game. So you know, I think it all adds up to, to you know that blowout uh, loss really hurting the perspective of USC. The interesting thing is, I had players tell me that the atmosphere of Notre Dame definitely contributed to it, which. They're going into ASU. They're going into, I think it's a sellout. It's going to be a loud game. I remember the last time we were at ASU, I had to, like, scream to be heard. That's how loud it is. And so, I've, In my opinion, it's one of the loudest stadiums. So if that whole environment is is bad for USC, isn't that kind of concerning? Yeah, definitely. I mean, ASU, their fans are loud and rowdy. Yeah. Like, you're going to hear, you know, your, your mom's going to be called every bad name when you're on the field. You and me might be get, get called bad names, uh, even though we should always get delect, delectable names called towards delectable. us. Delectable? I don't know. That's I might kind of a weird word. Delicious names? <laughs> what do you want me to throw out here? Please, uh, yeah, don't call me delicious names. <laughs> no, I'm okay with you guys calling me delicious names. Like, if people just want to start yelling down, like, chocolate chip cookies. Oh, my brown, God. Brown. Those are delicious. That's not what I was thinking. Pork okay. wine. Oh. No? Uh, no, let's get this back on the road. <laughs> I mean, in a game like this, do you have stock up? Do you what what I do, I do actually oh, have a couple okay. of stock up. I thought Stephen Mitchell Jr. played great in the game. Uh, I think he had seven catches for seventy one yards. I think he had a really nice game. The receivers at a group, you know, played pretty well. He, yeah. Stephen Mitchell had a touchdown, kind of, you know, went through an arm tackle and, you know, fought his way in. Deontay Burnett had over 100 yards, had a touchdown. Tyler Vaughn had six catches, 65 yards. You know, those outside receivers, those starting receivers at least, had, had pretty nice games. You know, there were some openings on the outside, and they took advantage of that. I wish they kind of would have taken advantage of it a little bit more. Uh, to and that'll come up a little bit later in this game, in this podcast. But you know, I thought Stephen Mitchell Jr. in particular, especially after having a couple injuries, unfortunately he's injured again now. You know, a shoulder injury after that game. Uh, but he was one of my stock ups. Yeah, Heldon said that they're going to take Stephen Mitchell on the trip. He, they could see him on the field. He said it was kind of like Deontay Burnett's shoulder injury where you're probably going to see him. So we'll see. But he is on the trip, so we'll see about that. I feel like people undervalue Stephen Mitchell Jr. I totally agree. Because they're like, because when Stephen Mitchell got hurt after the Texas game, I was like, oh, yeah, we'll just throw Tyler Vaughn's in there with Jalen Green whatever. And, like, yeah, Tyler Vaughn's played really well. But Stephen Mitchell, you know, is the – been probably the most consistent receiver outside of Deontay Burnett, maybe even more so because he he and Sam Darnold seem to be on the page more. So, you know, every once in a while he and uh, Sam and Deontay aren't on the same page. Um, but I think you know he gives USC a deep threat. He's one of the few guys that's caught a deep ball. Yeah, he was wide open on that deep ball. They could have kind of changed the momentum of the game early uh, on the the first play of the drive that USC ends up missing the field goal. Uh, he just can't connect on that with him and Sam. You know, he didn't adjust quick enough. Sam didn't get it out there far enough for him. Uh, but, you know, he's been a guy that's been able to get behind the defense, and, you know, not everybody else has been able to do that. So I think USC will miss him if he's not in it. And But that also gives an opportunity. You know, we've talked about all these receivers. Who's going to step up? Now's another opportunity if he's not able to go. Mm-hmm. Um, that's pretty much my stock up. But, yeah, I think the wide receivers as a whole. My stock up, I got Jack Jones' punt return. Yes. 
I thought, you know, having an, you know, a dangerous threat back there, you know, because he's going to go catch the ball, you know, something that Jene Harris wasn't doing. You know, he was more conservative. He would back away from punts, let them bounce. Jack Jones is very aggressive going after them. Uh, you know, the one play where he, where he messed up the muff punt actually was a fair catch opportunity. On chances where he had to return the ball, he did really good. I mean, USC's longest return, punt return coming into the game was 15 yards. His first return was 16 yards. Then he had a 25-yarder that was called back to a 10-yarder uh, on the play that we talked about before. And then he also had a 21-yarder later. So his three returns, if there wasn't that you know weird penalty, then his three returns would have all been longer than the longest USC had coming into the game. Yeah. And I, I think his I – don't, I don't necessarily penalize him for his muff punt in the sense that why – if you're going to give him a chance, why are you giving him his first career punt return opportunity at Notre Dame in that type of environment? He admitted it's his first time. Isn't that kind of rough on him? Would have liked to have seen it a little bit earlier. I mean, the wind was blowing down there. I think people underestimate that. He, on his first punt, he actually – was outside the hashes by about two or three yards and had to come back inside the hashes. He started out like right on the hash and like the wind, you know, just following the trajectory of the ball. Uh, you know, the wind was kind of swirling down there, made things a little bit difficult. I don't know if it had too much to do with that. He also had some backspin on that one because you know the kicker's trying to, uh, the punter's trying to pooch it in there. You know, so there were some different things, and he worked really hard this week. We saw yeah, him would... after practice. We saw him even during the water breaks, you know, getting extra punts in from, from Reed Budrovich. So, you know, give him credit that he's putting in that time. And, you know, I love the maturity. You know, some people don't think Jack Jones is mature, but he's one of the most mature kids on the team. He The, the amount of maturity that has happened between his last year and this year is just unreal to me. Like, he – I mean, the fact that he's – he took it on himself to do all the make those extra punts and and practice extra on Wednesday, and he didn't do it in a showy way like oh everyone look at me media blah blah he just did it you know and then he he did a one on one interview after staying after late at practice and then he came and talked to the media and took responsibility and took credit and was very mature in the way he handled himself and that's not something we necessarily saw from him last year so I think he's really matured. I mean I think he, he's just a kid that that knows you know what he's supposed to be doing and. You know, you see the bravado during game days and stuff, and you know him talking smack back and forth. But I think he's a kid that owns up to his mistakes, and, and he did so, uh, you know, after this punt return muff. Uh, so he's also my stock down, the muff of the punt return, because you know that's uh, two weeks in a row that they've lost a punt on the punt return um, or lost a fumble on the punt return. So you know, I got I stocked down on the punt return a little bit, but you know, yeah. I was really happy to see some explosive plays out of that. Give him a threat at least. I also think that changes the entire dynamic of the game. You know, just when that happened. It was like okay, now it's really out of reach. So oh yeah, because it was fourteen nothing. They had just got to stop. Yeah, you know USC had driven the ball the last drive and you know missed the field goal. So you say okay, we're we're getting the offensive flow going, and you know if the offense drives down and then scores, then it's still fourteen seven. This and is still a game. The week before USC was down by I think at least two touchdowns. Twenty one seven. Yeah, and they and came back. So it's not out of the question at that point. And yeah, and the punt doesn't. It's not just that he fumbled the punt; he fumbled it at the nine yard line. So yeah. they recover the ball. And USC's defense almost gets off the field. They get the third, third and goal, and a very nice run from Josh Adams. You know, sidestep. Cameron Smith had a very nice. You know, uh, he dove in. You know, the block gets just enough of him, and Josh Adams had a very nice sidestep move, and then runs through the arm tackle attempt of Jordan Isef to dive in. Just barely gets into. They had to review that one as well. Uh, but that's how close USC was getting off the field. You know, maybe uh, forcing the field goal later. Same thing. They get third and goal can't get off the field another touchdown so at halftime it's 28 to nothing rather than maybe it's 20 to nothing 
USC comes out, drives the ball that first drive of the second half. Now it's 27. You're like, okay, just like last week, we can do this. Yeah. We just got to get a couple stops, and we've already you know, we had turnovers that put us in bad field position. We got these stops and forced field goals, so now the defense has a little more confidence. So this is what I'm talking about. Like every little thing that, you know, that might have gave USC a little bit of confidence, might have gave them you know, a little bit, okay, we can do this. Nothing went yeah. right. Nothing, you know, they couldn't get off the field when they needed to most. They couldn't get a stop in the second half after they scored a couple touchdowns. I mean, they immediately they give up a long drive when they had a couple. I think they had at least one or two third third long situations on that uh, subsequent drive after first touchdown. And they gave up that score to get the points right back. They go down and drive it again and immediately give up an 84-yard touchdown. So, like, they just couldn't get off the field when they needed to the most, and, and everything kind of went down. So there's a lot in the stock down. I mean, the defense after turnovers is one of them. You know, they've been so good this season. The offense hadn't put them in. You know, the, we, we talked a lot more about the turnovers this week because they resulted in points. You yeah. know, everybody's been kind of, you know, hard. Oh, Sam Darnold's got to take care of the ball. But if they're winning, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, he starts taking care. Now it's like, oh, the turnovers are awful. You can't turn. Because when you get touchdowns out of the turnovers, uh, your defense can't stop them, then that changes things a lot more than when you get, you know, a field goal or even nothing. I mean, what was it, two weeks, three weeks ago, it was three, three points on the first five or six games of the season that they'd given up off turnovers. And they gave up, uh, I believe, 21 in that. All three turnovers resulted in touchdowns, it looked like. Yeah, and that's something that we asked the players, the defensive players after the game, is how almost demoralizing is it to get a stop in an environment where it's hard to get one and then suddenly you're back on the field, and they kind of admit it. It's hard. It's hard to to will your defense to do that when you don't have a lot of guys as you do. You lose Emon Marshall. You have Brandon Peely up front, and then you have to go back out. It's hard. It's hard for them, and and that's why, like you said, it's it's more of an issue now because you're seeing the result of the turnovers. Yeah, and the same thing goes when the defense can't get off the field. Like right after that, I talked to Stephen Mitchell after the game. He scores a touchdown. I'm like, okay, we got a little momentum. It's twenty-eight seven. Maybe we can do something. Maybe you're thinking back, hey, 1974, USC's down 24 nothing. They went 55-24. They thought, start thinking, like, okay, we got some momentum, and the defense can't get off the field on uh, third third long, and they end up scoring. And now the offense is like, oh, man, we got to go out again, like try to cut this. And they cut it back, and then and all of a sudden you have the touchdown. It's just neither side really helped each other out. Um, and like I said, it was a full team team loss. You know, no one played really well. You know, there's That's why our stock up is so limited. There's few things that went well for USC. Um, you know, the stock down could be really long if we wanted it to. Yeah, if we want to be nitpicky. I had Christian Rector. I did he just as well. could not keep contain. It didn't he just didn't have his best game. Yeah, Christian Rector struggled with the read option. I mean, they really attacked that side of the defense with him and John Houston and Brandon Peely on one side and then later Isaiah Langley having to take over on that side. So like we talked about, is, do you want to attack that side where you got some, some young guys, or do you want to attack the side that's got five star Rasheem Green and you know Uchenna Nwosu was like a pre you know felt like first four weeks was all American. You got Cam Smith who is preseason all American. Do you want to attack that side or the side with some inexperienced guys going at it? Uh, obviously, you know Notre Dame did a really good job of attacking, especially getting off the edge on Christian Rector. Basically, you know he was put in a position where. He had to be the guy to determine. They were reading him, so he had to determine whether he's just going to attack the quarterback, which maybe that's what they should have done. Maybe they should have just said, hey, forget trying to read the play. Just go after the quarterback. You got him. 
be aggressive after him. We'll let somebody else try to you know take away the dive up the middle and stuff they're doing. But that was you know they ended up switching their defense actually because they put Jordan Isefa in an outside linebacker an in-game adjustment that they made you know because he hadn't played outside linebacker previously. Um, but they wanted someone more athletic because they were getting those one-on-one matchups where it was you know Rector or Isefa versus Wimbush. They wanted somebody that was a little bit more athletic, so they put him in there. So I had to stock down with Christian Rector for that, and also he gets hurt this week in practice. You know he had a hand injury yesterday. We'll find out today how serious it is. <coughs> Hopefully for his sake it's not because he's been so good for USC as a pass rusher, you know, leading the Pac-12 in, in sacks going into last weekend. Uh, so you hope that, that USC doesn't suffer another injury on the defensive line. Yeah. As far as pressure goes, I didn't watch this game as much as you did, obviously. Did it feel like they were not fully committing to sending everybody? What, like how much did they – should they just sell out and just send everyone? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like how much – or does that leave you susceptible to – a mobile quarterback. Well, it leaves you susceptible if you... I mean, they did a lot of blitzing with the safeties. Those are run blitzes to try to fill the gaps, do a little bit more there. But then, like, the the run up the middle that goes for 84 yards, Chris Hawkins is going across the formation with the, the tight end, and then John Houston kind of steps out. This is what happens when a running quarterback. John Houston kind of steps out outside a little bit to make sure that Brandon Woodbush is stopped. Chris Hawkins is already over there with the tight end going that way. Marvell Tell also takes a step that way, and that's how you get hit up the middle and there's no one there at all. So, you know, I, I think Notre Dame's game plan was great. I said it during the game. Uh, you know, they really wanted to run the middle up the middle, obviously, because yes. Josh Fatu's out. you got yes. a freshman up there. You know, their offensive line is really good, um, especially on the left side. So they have an opportunity to run the ball, you know, up the middle and, and you know, gash USC for some five, six-yard gains. It's kind of wear USC down. But I thought they did a really good job of – running the outside stuff first, and then making USC cognizant uh, of Wimbush potentially getting on. Because if they did it the other way around, maybe Wimbush hurts them a little bit later, but they, you know, they're you they stopping the inside runs, and that's the more important part early. Uh, so I thought that they had a great game plan, and, and USC just couldn't stop it. And you know, Tackling was part of it, but I thought it was more the fact that USC couldn't stop the you know the read option stuff and, and you know staying in their gaps when they needed to the most. They were getting pushed around a little bit up front because – you don't really have the defensive tackles and the you know the defensive ends right now. Rasheem Green has been you know uh, a battle warrior all season, and he was getting a lot of double teams, and that's just really tough as a defensive lineman. Uh, so, you know, I, I thought that that Notre Dame was was going to dominate in the trenches, and they surely did with three what was three hundred seventy seven yards rushing, I think. So, you know, they they dominated up front. In that sense, should there be concern looking ahead to U of A? To U of A, that's a, I mean. We'll see how many more injuries happen before yeah, then. <laughs> I mean, Khalil Tate obviously has been phenomenal running the ball uh, as the quarterback at Arizona, uh, and you know we're looking ahead a little bit. Sorry, but, but uh, you know the fact that he is, you know, he's a mobile quarterback. He saw what Wimbush did and saw what some of the mobile quarterbacks have done against USC. He's got to be licking his lips and you know chomping at the bit to get to that game a little bit, uh, especially because USC was a, a team that didn't want him as a quarterback. Uh, you know, they were interested in, in him playing a different position, but not quarterback. So, you know, USC shut him down last year. You know, they faced Khalil Tate last year. It's not like they haven't seen him. They shut him down. He had one rushing touchdown early, and then they kind of dominated the rest of the game. That was a big blowout. So it's not like they can't stop him. So we'll see. First, got to get through this Arizona yeah. State game first. Which is a big question. Manny Wilkins also another – he's a mobile quarterback, not necessarily a running quarterback. 
But they, they have some offensive weapons that are going to challenge USC. Kalen Balazs is a big back, and I, I love watching Kalen Balazs play. Uh, I think he's a guy that can can tear them up in the, in in between the tra- in between the tackles, and uh, you know if they don't get better play out of some of those guys up front, and, and then it could be a long day again for them there. Well, but it's not quite the same offensive line as Notre Dame. Let's, let's that, make sure we say that. That's though. a good point. But at the same time, nothing has necessarily changed from this week, uh, last week to this week, in the sense that we have no update on Josh Fatu. He didn't practice this week. Um, he might show up on Saturday. We have no word about it. Concussions are kind of iffy on that sense. But is it – I mean, you're looking at the same line against Notre Dame as you are for ASU. Well, I think the fact that you have a true freshman, he's getting that extra – he got that game experience. I think he's only going to get better. Brandon Peely's super athletic. Uh, the fact that the offensive line is not going to be as good, I think you can see some different results even though the players are going to be the same up front. Um, and, you know, the question will be with Christian Rector. If Rector's out – do yeah, you that's... go with Connor Murphy or a Wally Batiku on that edge as your third string, you know, uh, rusher off the edge rusher because Christian Rector's done such a good job there filling in for Port Augustine? Or do you go with Jordan ISF, who's played some there as well uh, this week in practice? And that's the interesting thing. In practice, we're seeing ISF there first and then a rotation with Connor Murphy and Wally. So it's... Well, it, you know, we saw that some, but then earlier in the week it was the flip of that. Not in the beginning of practice. In the beginning of practice? You weren't there on Tuesday. You weren't there. I was there earlier before you, both practices this week. Not Tuesday, no. No way. Like, by like two minutes. Yeah, I won. Oh, I hate you so much. Okay, that's, I, besides, I have everyone on stock now. Well. Yeah, a little bit. Um, I also have tackling. I mean, I called it against Utah. They didn't tackle well against Utah. The more the same, um... On uh, against Notre Dame, losing. Okay, because uh, this, this is what I'm thinking. Of. You just started imagining those ta- those missed tackles, didn't you? No, you're I'm, just like stunned by whoa, that's a lot of. I was thinking about whether I think because I said it last week on the podcast, it kind of looked against Utah that they were like going thud against, like kind of making contact and then kind of not doing much else. And then I tweeted it. At the game on Notre Dame, and a certain player what happened? Ha- happened to see it. What but happened? that's going to be on a herd on the sidelines. So. Yeah, so, you know, part of that is that they're big backs. I mean, both Zach Moss ran like a very thick back, and Josh Adams is probably one of the biggest backs in the country. They were talking about how he's got to get low and, and get skinny, you know, going through holes and stuff because he's a huge dude and can run through some tackles. I didn't think they, ta- they tackled as bad as you thought they did. And we had arguments about this on in practice and I'm, and I'm just saying you can't see tackling issues on the broadcast version as you can from our point of view and from my footage I'm just saying you can't I mean I, I was down there too so what are you trying to say I'm trying to say that you don't see it as much as I do <laughs> uh-huh. I'm just saying that you're not filming it and then you're not watching the film that I filmed well, you can send me your film if you want you're I supposed will. to check out a play for me this week what happened with that <gasps> oh Thanks a lot for helping out. Uh, stock down, I also had Jalen Green on the stock down just because he's kind of been relegated to a backup now. He was a starter before he got the concussion, and then now he's kind of the backup, and USC went more with the, the rotations they used last year for the receivers with Stephen Mitchell and Tyler Vons, where they played the enti- almost the entire game like they did last year with Darius Rogers and Juju Smith-Schuster. Uh, we'll see how that plays out this week if Stephen Mitchell's not able to go. Clay Helton made it sound like he'll be limited at least. You know, he said maybe we'll get 10, 15, 20 plays out of him. Um, so we'll we'll see how you know how much Stephen Mitchell can go and who fills in there. 
I mean, Michael Pittman could fill in there. Uh, Helton kind of hinted at Michael Pittman. Well, Michael Pittman could fill in there, but he just came off. Uh, he tweaked his ankle again. Uh, it's the same ankle. But he was going full speed in practice. True. But all it takes is one little bad step because he I don't think he even really got hit or anything. He just yeah, got a step wrong. He was by himself. It was weird. And he was so. covering a punt and, you know, he basically hopped over the sideline. He was laying on the ground. They were checking out his foot and he just chunked his helmet behind him. He was, he was very upset. And then, and then he, he got, got up. up and yeah. He's like, I don't want you guys to check it because I know what's wrong with it. Yeah. It hurts. <laughs> That's what's wrong with it. That's what I got for stock down. I mean, we could go on and on. Just, Nobody played not great. Worth it. It's Nobody not really worth played it. great. Um, Sam Darnold turnovers, all those things. But we'll just. Skip Everyone it. knows. Everyone knows the issues. All right, go on. Hurt, hurt on the sidelines. What you got? I just thought it was interesting seeing how players react to losses like this. It's kind of funny how the true colors kind of come out a little bit when adversity strikes. You know, um, I saw some players kind of laughing at times, but. Like, towards the end. And that's the thing that kind of bothers me. Hold on. Let me finish because I know you're about to, like, interrupt me. I think someone... I would never interrupt you. A national reporter, I think, said, like, oh, some of the team was laughing. And I would also say that a lot of the team was very serious and upset. Um, I know some players basically had, like, tantrums on the sideline. They were so mad. And then other players had to take the responsibility of calming them down, talking to them, telling them all this stuff. So you... in losses like this, there's a wide range of emotions. And these are 18 to 20-year-old guys who handle poor, like bad emotions in different ways. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, oh, yeah. it's not going to be across the board. And everyone wants this robot reaction of, I, we're so focused and angry and we want to win, blah, blah, blah. And that's not going to happen. But then when you see Sam Darnold do that, people are like, oh, he needs to be more fired up. Yeah, that's the other thing. Like, And... Like, I have to give him credit because I kind of called him out for standing by himself on the sideline. Towards, uh, He was at the end of the sideline standing by himself, and he's done that this whole season, you know? And I never said it when they were winning, but I did say it when they were losing. I just think it's a bad look, but at the same time, he was also calming guys down who were, who were very upset. So, I mean, there's a leader in that sense. I just don't know if it's necessarily a good thing to be at that be by yourself at that point in the game. Yeah, I didn't see any players smiling. I was kind of interested when I, I saw that uh, reaction or that um, comment on our message boards. Um, one of the, the things I had heard on the sideline was the range of emotions from Chuma Adoga. And it's a good yes. example of kind of all the players. So before the game, he's fired up. He's going back and forth with the fans, yelling at them. Uh, during the game, you know, he gets injured. And before he even got injured, he came to the sideline. The offense is kind of struggling in the first half. And he just slams his helmet down on the, on the bench. He's just and he's an emotional guy, uh, so you know a lot of his. We'll see you'll see his full range. And then after he gets hurt, he's just kind of despondent. He just kind of you know he hurts his ankle. He just kind of sits on the bench, and you know obviously he's not going to be standing up on a, on a bum ankle. But he just seems like he's just kind of out of it. You know, it, it just you know, because of everything that had gone on, it was kind of interesting to see his you know the wave path of his emotions, and, and I kind of feel like. It, it depends on the player. Like you see, Sam Darnold doesn't change much. Chumadoga is much more emotional, and that's going to happen. Uh, I had another hurt on the sidelines with C.J. Pollard after the game. C.J. Pollard didn't get in the game. He was kind of he was kind of mad about it. He threw his gloves down. Another player came and scooped him up later, but you know he was just yeah. Well, I, Achilles Ross did, and I wanted like because he he picked him up and then kind of talked to C.J. as they were walking off, which just shows that little maturity of like, hey man, like don't do that. <laughs> yeah, and it's just I mean I think that shows that. When you're, you're a guy that's not getting a bunch of playing time, you know, I've been through this in the past, you know, when there's a blowout, you're like, all right, here's my opportunity. You don't get in the game, 
you're kind of fired up about it. You, you know, you're fired up about that too. And, and maybe that's what it was. Maybe he's just very frustrated about the, how the whole outcome of the game came. But you, you see someone who's not playing. They're throwing their gloves. So you saw a whole a wide gamut of emotions from from those guys. So it's kind of a uh, case study on college male male college athletes. Just how many different emotions there were at the end of that game. Yeah, and there's so many people that you can't expect one homogenous reaction. That's just not. How it is. Look at you, vocab. SAT. Why, thank you. Um, yeah, so we kind of alluded to this earlier, but I interviewed Chris Hawkins this week. Um, and so I'm walking up to him as practice is getting out, and he goes, I don't want to talk to the, you guys. I don't want to talk to the media. And I was like, what? and like, I'm, I'm, I'm homies with Chris Hawkins. Like, we're, we're, oh, homies. Not, okay, I think homies is a little too friendly, but I've known him for a while. I've known him for as long as he's played at SC. Um, and Chris Hawkins is usually one of the guys that the media talks to because he's, he is... And he's very media-friendly. Yeah. And he and he's the guy who you go to when there's a bad loss because he's the guy who's going to be mature, mature about to, it and talk about it and take responsibility. So he's usually the guy we go to. And he's like, I don't want to talk to the media. Like, half-joking. But then he was like, you tweeted that we were looking like thud out there. Ryan thinks he's so funny and he's not. Like, So he was just basically telling me, like, we read everything that everyone tweets. And he was upset, like, not only with what I tweeted, but with what fans are tweeting, you know? Like, where's the loyalty? I know Iman was like, y'all don't rock with us, when whatever. Um, but I, I kind of pushed it back. I was like, do you think you tackled well against Notre Dame? And he was like, well, they were a good team. And who who had the bye and who didn't? And I'm like, yeah, but it's football. <laughs> and and I know it's it's one thing for me to say that in my precious little seat where I'm not tackling and doing all this stuff. But at the same time, I just don't understand how they're good is an an excuse. But I don't know. I don't know if I was off base. I just said, I feel like if you're not, I thought tackling was not good and I called it out. I'm not going to pull these like weird, shady, sassy tweets. But the whole thing about going no pads in November, it's October, but the last four games of the season... They go no pads. That's the main thing that Chris Hawkins was mad about. He was like, you guys should know at this point, that's what we do in November, no pads. And so, but given how they played against Notre Dame, wouldn't you think that they would need something? A little spark? You anything? know, I had change it. It was to was to actually change something to practice. Yes, they I They haven't agree. played, you know, even if they've won, they haven't played great. You wanted to play great. You want to be improving. Are they improving? Maybe. Are they playing up their potential? No. So if the team's not playing up to potential, maybe you need to shake things up. I would have liked to have seen something different this week in practice. I didn't see. Maybe it was the Monday practice that we don't get to attend. Maybe that was completely different. I don't know. You know, I would have liked, even if Clay Helton, like, you know what, I'm going to change the rule because, you know, Sark and Kiff always had music. You know, for one day, we're just going to blast music. We're going to just change something up because whatever has been going on, is not producing the best results right now. Exactly. Not producing the best uh, production out of the team. They're not living up to their potential. So I would like to see something change. That wasn't my change it, but since we're already getting on it, go ahead. Yeah, well, I mean, that was my change it too. Like, practice just seemed so almost lethargic. It just felt like not what you would expect after what we saw from them on Saturday. You know, I, someone's fired up. Someone, anything. You know what I'm saying? Something. I would have liked to have seen a fight, probably. I mean, this is James Tolan's moment to shine. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. Anything. But And and we're already going to keep it changing because one of my changes was a vocal offensive leader. I think you and I talked about it here at one point. There's not a guy to get in someone's face. when You know what I'm saying? There's not a Zach Banner who you can hear from 100 yards out. 
it's Deontay Burnett who, to credit to him, plays with the passion of on his shoulder. Like that guy just tries so hard. He tried so hard on the sideline at Notre Dame to get guys pumped up to keep the the defense keeping their heads up. I mean, he did it against Wazoo too. But you know, there's not that guy that that guy who's gonna get on the 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 bench and be like, okay, everyone, let's go. You know, I don't know. I feel like that's missing, and you're seeing that a little bit in the leadership aspect. Yeah, I think so. And you know, maybe it needs to be a guy like James Tolan. Tol- Tolan could do that. He's a senior, he's a vet. He's been there for several years. You know, on the offense. You know, it doesn't have to be your star. It doesn't have to be Sam Darnold. Maybe maybe you need Sam Darnold to do that. But it doesn't have to be him. It could be Toa Lomina, who's a pretty quiet guy. It could be Chris Brown, who's a pretty quiet guy. It could be Nico Fala, who's a pretty quiet guy. All those offensive linemen, there's a veterans. Someone needs to come out of character and do it. Um, you know, going back to my college days, we had a team meeting, and, you know, I and another player that, you know, didn't talk a ton got up in front and said, hey, we got to change what we're doing here, and we, we turn things around. You need someone to come out of character a little bit. You know, it, you don't have to be the loud guy all the time, but they need somebody to rally around in the locker room, and I think that's something that, you know, would definitely help this team. Uh, and, you know, sometimes it's tough because if it's not genuine, everybody sees through it. Yeah. And everybody's like, what's this mofo talking about? Like, <laughs> yeah. like, And they just completely dismiss it and go completely the opposite way. Yeah. So it's a tough line to, to, to uh, straddle there, but – I think you need someone because the defense, you know, they have their leaders. Well, Chris Hawkins, Chenna, uh, I mean, even Rasheem Green is kind of a quiet leader. Cam Smith, you know, those guys can tell players, this is what you're doing wrong. You need to get your crap together. Yeah. we got to go. Um, I mean, it just shows in the captains. People were surprised when Sam Darnold was the only captain, but that shows who the vocal leaders are on this team. I mean, if you had, okay, if you had to choose a vocal leader on the offense, that is one guy you would expect to be like yelling or something to spark fire. I mean, Who would I, I kind of asked, and they said Jalen Green's kind of the guy that will sometimes get loud. Yeah, I um, could see that. And, you know, maybe it needs to be somebody else. Maybe Steven Mitchell is a guy that needs to be a little yeah. bit loud. Or somebody, I mean, you need one of those veteran guys to step up. I'm like, I, w- I would recommend James Tolan. Go for it, dude. Yeah. I just I don't think it mattered last season because you had guys like Juju, you had guys like Banner where Darnold didn't need to be that guy. And I don't think Darnold has to be that guy. But he's also the guy who, in his – basketball high school season broke his hand because he was so mad that he like smashed it on the locker you know you maybe we don't see that but i think that needs to come out a little bit more not change who you are but be more fiery why why do basketball players always break their hands hitting stuff like joel berry from north carolina just broke his hand after losing a video game we had a basketball player in high school broke his hand hitting a locker too i don't know it always happens with basketball players protect your hands you can't shoot with your feet all right what else do you got and keep it i got five wides you know, they went with five Ooh. wides a couple times, and, you know, it worked. They went, I think they gained 16 yards and 24 yards on back-to-back plays, and then we didn't really see it anymore. Ronald Jones came back in the game. They had Valus Jones in, you know, in the slot uh, with no uh, running back, and it worked out. Maybe they should go with a little bit more. I liked it. I had, um, I think this is the first week in Family Feud history that I'm not saying change a JNA at punt return. I'm saying keep Jack Jones at punt return. I don't care if he fumbled. I don't care if that costs maybe the momentum of the game. I like it. I think it's good going forward. I had keep it fiery Clay Helton. Oh, feel it. He was uh, going after the the referees, you know, especially. He, he's always like that though. That's he's sometimes that's like underrated. That. He, no, he, this is the most I've seen him. Uh, really? You know, he that third down. They got or the first down. They got changed to third down on the penalty, the holding penalty. 
He was livid. He calls a timeout like immediately. He's like, no, I want a timeout. I want a timeout now. And then like he calls the ref, the head referee or he's pointing, get over here, get over here right. Now. And then he like basically the referee has to come in the huddle, in USC's huddle, and the referee says it's my fault, it's my fault, whatever. They should have given USC his timeout back probably. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't understand. That. Because they messed up the call um, initially, and he turns his mic off. He said uh, first down, and then. Maybe he corrects it the third down. Dan Weber said that he corrected it after he'd already turned off his mic. It's not on the broadcast. You don't hear it at all. So if he did, it was after he turned off the mic. He comes and corrects it or whatever. But, you know, because USC had already got their uh, their first down play, had already called in that personnel. They switched to a third and short play. They go with three tight ends. It doesn't work. Um, but I love the fact that he was so animated on the sideline going. And because that was a huge moment, because USC scores there, 14-7 is much different than – Suddenly, after you get a stop and you fumble the ball, it's twenty-one nothing. It's kind of like in baseball when the manager gets so fed up about a call that, like, he can't change, but he's going to get so fed up that it fires up the team. It's kind of like that. Yeah. Um, are yeah. we back keep to change it? Because I don't have anything else to oh, keep. <laughs> change it. Go for it. I had being open about what needs to change. I mm. I just don't. The Dan Weber column nailed it. Yeah, like I really agreed with what Dan said, and we had a long conversation about this after the game. Is like, how can you not? Offer up something. You have to say something. I thought that the players did a much better job of taking responsibility and, and offering things that need to be changed or anything compared to the coaches. I thought T. Martin's scrum was a little concerning. Um, I don't think all of it is T. Martin's fault, but I just think I we mentioned this earlier. It, just give a little, give a little bit, give something, give an offering, a, a, a sacrificial lamb. You know, like yeah, we need to be better on first down. I don't know, but. To not admit anything just comes off as delusional. You know what I'm saying? No, I agree. You, you have you to be... You don't lose by 35 points because of only execution. Yes. It's and, also turnovers. It's also we didn't do this, we didn't do that. Throw some of those things out there. You don't yeah. have to throw a player under the bus and say the offensive line didn't play great. Are you throwing the offensive line coach under the bus? Maybe a little bit, but whatever. Yeah. You know, if it's true, that's true. And if, if the coach wants to come at you and be like, hey, why are you throwing me on the bus? It's like, hey, did your unit do well? Yeah. Okay, then let's let's get this together. We need to work together to get this figured out. And maybe there's maybe there's something going on behind the scenes we don't where coaches aren't talking, you know, and aren't aren't you know, coaches need to argue a little bit with each other. Yeah. And I mean what? I, what I don't mean? know. <laughs> we argue well and our our system works fine. That's perfect. Nothing needs to change. No. But I just don't like we need to look at the tape. If you lose that poorly and you can't offer up some things and say you need to look at the tape i know that's probably an excuse to not say anything but you gotta say something you have to you have to because otherwise i'm getting so passionate about this otherwise because i was asking dan because we were walking and doing instant and all that stuff who does this help who does it benefit by not being open about some things that need to change okay even if you know what needs to change you come across that you don't which doesn't help you and if you're protecting your players, it just doesn't work, you know? And it doesn't work when your players seem better at answering our questions than you do. And you're being paid all this money to do it, you well, know what i definitely saying? the case with the offensive line. I mean, Neil Callaway didn't really want to talk about the issues they had. He kind of walked away from the scrum, talked to Chris Brown. Chris Brown's not the uh, the best quote, but Chris Brown was very open and had a, gave a very good interview. And then Toa Lomondon after him, who's a guy that I always go to, him and Vianney, when Vianney was healthy, for offensive line quotes because they're very good. They're very, you know, media-friendly there. Yeah. And, and both those guys are really good. They answered the questions. I mean, Clay Helton said, hey, we had some physical beats. And I talked to Chris Brown and told Lomond, I said, we weren't really playing, you know, as, as a you know as a unit. 
you know, we'd have four guys do their job and one guy wouldn't, and that, you know, can blow up a play. And kind of asked Neil Callaway about that, and he said, well, that's that's your opinion, right? I said, well, it is, but it's also the, on the tape. And then I didn't say it, but Clay Helton also had already said it, so yeah. I, don't, I didn't really get what the, the big ordeal was there, but he didn't really want to talk about the issues, whereas the, the players did. And it's maybe that's a little bit of a pattern we're seeing. In, in the same vein, I also had the change of disclosing Sam's injury. I don't understand, like, he was asked multiple times, is Sam injured? And he didn't really let on to it. And then when asked about Sam's ankle health, then he was like, okay, well, he did hurt his ankle against Wazoo. It doesn't mean much if you're saying it after a loss, like a bad loss against Notre Dame. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and granted, he may have tweaked the ankle against uh, against Notre, I mean, against Washington State, and then it was fine the next week, and then... You know, yeah. you can re-injure an injury a couple weeks later when you're healthy. That could have yeah. been perfectly it. But, yeah, uh, I just don't agree with it. You can't say that nothing's wrong with him and, you know, there has been something wrong. I'm like, also, oh, he tweaked his ankle against Washington State. is good now. They could have said that easily. I just don't – if if that was somehow a reason for Sam not looking the way he is, I think that's not helpful for Sam. True. Uh, I would change it, the energy. I didn't think the energy the last couple of days has been great. On the sidelines, it wasn't great. I'd also change, keep going with what's working on offense. Yes, yes, it, yes, if yes. If it's open on the outside, just keep doing it until they make you do something different. I mean, And that's what I've been trying to articulate in these past podcasts. It's like, why not keep doing something until the defense stops it? I don't understand. Make them stop it. I also had special team struggles uh, on change it. You know, a lot of penalties on special teams. Missed a chip shot field goal. I mean, even before that, they tried to rush a snap and you know had to take a five-yard penalty, but tried to rush the snap and it was bobbled. Um, you know, the snaps weren't great. There was one that Rebudgerich saved, um, Wyatt Schmidt. Maybe that'll get better with Damon Johnson back. Damon Johnson wasn't terrific. I mean, Rebudgerich has been really good about fielding punts back there. Yes, I'll give him a lot of credit for that. But he had a you know he had a really short punt at least once. You know, there were just several things that added up that were not great. Uh, the, the kick returns were okay. The punt returns were good when they caught the ball. And then, of course, the big one, my punt. Can't give him the ball tonight. Yeah, that's all I got. Um, we got a question from Troy Trojan. Um, are you ready for this? It's going to be, like, rapid fire. All right, I'm going to try. Okay, Shotgun. When was the last time you you saw the offense run a draw? Run a draw? Oh, not this year. A middle screen. A middle wide receiver screen? Last year. Tight end screen? Uh, Pete Carroll days? Two tight, end, two tight ends run a pass route on the same play. That happens a lot. When they run two tight ends, that happens. 50-yard or more completion on a fly route to a wide receiver. I won a fly route, but it was deep post that Stephen Mitchell was open for a 50-yard. But uh, was the his fly route earlier in the season against Texas? That was probably like 46 or something. So that was close enough. Close enough. 50-yard or more completion on a post route to a wide receiver. That would have been happened if, if Sam Darnold could have got the, the ball out there a little bit farther. A wide receiver reverse? Um, you know, they've practiced reverses before, but I don't really like it. They, they do more, they like the jet sweep with, with Bayless Jones rather than reverse. And, you know, the stuff they've done with wide receivers running the ball, I like Ronald Jones running the ball better than any of the receivers. Yeah. Have a fullback in the game? Uh, last week. Run a or play. two weeks ago, something like that. Run a play out of an unbalanced line. Uh, this week it didn't work. Run a play out of 13 or 23 personnel. Um... Uh, Trying to remember which I always forget if the numbers go. If that's three tight end, well, yeah, three tight ends and one back, or is it one tight end and three backs? I don't know. They don't use three backs ever. If that's what it is, that didn't happen. Uh, three tight ends they did use in the the play they lost a yard on the the third and third and one. 
Run a tight end delay route. I think that's happened this year. Uh, I think they could do more with, you know, just some blocking, and then if you're on your block long enough, and then you just kind of fall out into a route. I think they could do more of that, but also the, the offensive line hasn't really been great, so it's hard to do those type of routes when the, the rushers are getting there sooner. Uh, tight end have a 100-yard receiving day. Tyler Petit came close. Uh, last year? Did, did, Maybe. No, Daniel Moore, baby, didn't. So a couple years ago. The opposing defense calls a timeout because they are confused due to the offensive's alignment. That has happened. Oh, that's happened this year. Pass out of an empty formation. That happened twice in a row, and it gained like 40 yards, and they went away with it. On first and goal situation, run the ball between the tackles, all downs until they score. Well, usually when they run it between the tackles and they get stuffed, they're like, okay, we better try something else. So <laughs> it's not like they get the ball at the nine, they gain four yards, they gain three yards, and they get in. That, that doesn't happen very often. Play action out of a stretch play or counter play or zone play? Play action out of stretch play several times. Uh, counter play, I mean, the stretch and zone both, but not very much the counter play. A game where there are no run plays for minus yards. Yeah, that hard. happened against Oregon State. Did it? Yeah, I think so. All right, there you go. Um, a receiver motion out of the backfield and create a mismatch on a linebacker. Uh, they put Deontay Burnett in a two-back set with Ronald Jones at one point to start a drive and then motioned him out. And I don't remember where they threw it to, but, yeah, that happened. QB sneak on first, second, third, or fourth down and one. Uh, well, considering they've run two quarterback sneaks this year and one of them was on first and ten and the other one was to get out of the goal line on first and ten. Or maybe they made, maybe they ran a third one to get out of the goal line situation as well. But, yeah, that happened so far. They didn't go under center the only time they went under center was the play before half to get out. Whereas last week, they went, uh, you don't have to do it a bunch, but they went four or five times uh, the last couple weeks, and it was successful. I don't know why they didn't do that either. They cut that out. They didn't cut out the two tight end formations, some different stuff. That's what I'm saying. I don't understand. Okay, last one. The ref announces the tackle is is eligible. I think you should throw your receivers and say your tackles. But last year, they used Chuma Adoga as a tight end in the tight end spot, so he was technically eligible. They don't. I don't think they announced that in college. I think you just got to know. NFL, they announced the tackles, uh, the tackles are eligible. Troy Trojan, giving you the... Whew! You survived it, though. Good job. That was impressive. <laughs> Did it. Um, my question for you. One more question. Do you think that they're using Ronald Jones well? Uh, Ronald Jones broke his streak of uh, touchdowns right. this yep. week, unfortunately. I think it was 13 games. Um, you know, Ronald Jones is a great kid, and you would love to see him get some open lanes. There were maybe four plays where there's an open hole. They didn't run a ton. I mean, what did they run? He ran 12 times. They ran 31 total, but part of those were Sam getting sacked. So, you know, to the running backs, they ran 22 times in that game. The reason why they didn't run is because they weren't getting, they weren't creating any holes. Uh, The Notre Dame defense line is really good. Jerry Tillery, known for stomping and kicking, uh, was really good in that game. Um, You know, I think they have, really good line, what they should have done is thrown those receivers on the outside because that's what they were leaving open. Instead of stacking the box, which is kind of what they did, they stack, they control, they controlled the middle of the field. They stopped the runs up the middle, and they stopped Deontay from getting a bunch of catches up the middle or Daniel Morbebe, tight ends, Tyler Petit. Those didn't happen. Most of USC's throws were on the outside, and they found some holes there. Uh, they should have done even more of it, I think, hitches and snags on the outside. Okay, last question. I know you already shunned me. ASU, how important is this game? Do you think USC can do it? How important is it? For the rest of the season. Well, the fact that they're at the top of the Pac-12 South as well and Arizona State's won back-to-back games against Washington and Utah is a huge game. Huge! Huge! There you go. High or if you're, if you're from uh, 
Pennsylvania, huge, huge, huge game uh, for USC. They got to play well. They, you know, Arizona State's got some offensive weapons. Their defense has been creating turnovers. Take care of the ball, and you win the game. I just call it a reverse hell, uh, reverse jail Mary. Tyler Vaughn is catching a hail Mary to win it. Yeah, you call that on our Facebook Live, so everyone look out for that crazy. I'm take. usually wrong on my predictions. Who do you think wins? Come on. I, I just said reverse jail Mary. Tyler oh, okay, Vons. okay. Yeah, but you got to say it. I did. Believe it. USC wins. I don't have to believe anything. They're just predictions. Okay. Well, I think USC loses. I'm sorry. Oh, we'll see. We'll see. All right. This was a fast one in my mind. I know it's probably not in your mind. I said a lot of stuff, so. You did. All right. Okay. We will see you next week. This has been the Family Feud Podcast. Peace.